Yes, it is Monday, August 8th, the Big Sports Breakfast, Sky Sports Radio. A very good morning to you if you're just tuning in. The Pupsters still away, one more week to go. Currently in Paris at the Eiffel Tower, doing it real tough, Loz. At the Eiffel Tower, having a glass of wine. <laughs> or is How it lovely. champagne? Is it champagne, I'm, is it? I'm not sure. We'll ask him when he comes mm. back. Um, but no, nah, good on him. He's over there having a good time. Three weeks off, enjoying the sunshine, getting around. I wish I was over there with him, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Big fans of the show in Paris. Surely there's some way we can get a junket over there. I'm sure there would be. I just want to know how he went trying to get the BSB cap on over there and trying to get someone famous to wear it for us. Yeah, he was going to send us a pic. He was going to send us a photo, but I don't think that's going to happen now. All right, so it's just Loz and I today and uh, plenty of your heroes and villains feedback. Reminder, we've got a $100 gift card to give away for the best contribution this morning, a case of the Saint and Sinner Alcoholic Kombucha, 0419767272 on the text line. And uh, my heroes are the Australian track and field team as they continue to go from strength to strength with great performances. Is a nomination here from Craig of Sutherland, who also goes on to say his villains, the Cronulla Sharks, who give us fans heartache as the games that they are meant to win they just don't put sides away. And Liverpool, for their lacklustre performance against Fulham on Saturday night, says Craig. And uh, that game on Saturday night, Cronulla 24, the Dragons 18, and Tarek Sims facing four weeks uh, with the early plea for his hit on Connor Tracy. So that could be the end of his Dragons career. Yeah, well, he's going to Melbourne Storm next year, Tarek. And unfortunately, you know, he's got a bit of a record now of... Uh, hitting people around the melon and copying some suspensions, but he's certainly been a tough player. He's been a um, a warrior. Um, but, yeah, that tackle the other night on Connor Tracy. Um, and it's good that Connor Tracy's okay too, by the way. Uh, but Tarek, I'm assuming, will plead uh, guilty and accept his punishment of four weeks rather than risk challenging it and, you know, missing the start of next season with the Melbourne Storm. Um, so he's played his last game for the Dragons if he does that, um, and he'll move on. Uh, but the Dragons, their season's over. Uh, you're right with Cronulla. They they play better against the highly credentialed teams, and their ball movement is like they're pretty to watch at times against those more credentialed teams. But when they come up against sides they're expected to beat, I don't know, they just continue to make sort of errors and it doesn't look as fluent and it doesn't look easy for them. So I, I don't know that whether that will um, hurt them in semi-final time or not because you're playing against the, the cream of the crop. But yeah, it's an interesting one with the Sharks. But they also did have, I think Will Kennedy was missing mm. uh, and I think Moylan was out too, wasn't he? I think I read a report that Matt Moylan didn't play. So they're a couple of important people to their their attacking structures. Uh, Rob from Goulburn uh, pretty much highlights the most, well, given villain on the text line with the call so far this morning. Says, hey, boys, hero Oliver Hall for an incredible run. Villain is obviously Ricky Stewart. Personal tax disgusting. If I was the young kid, I'd start legal action against him. It could absolutely wreck that young fella. The worst display of leadership in sport I've ever seen. I'd be surprised if he isn't copying a ban. Uh, isn't copying a ban for that rubbish. Also think they need to investigate uh, further anyway. Rob from Goulburn saying that. Hello, Buzz. How's the weekend? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Down at Shark Park and uh, a, a good win. Um, as you, Lloyd just said, without Matt Moylan and without Will Kennedy to lose two games, uh, two players out of your spine. Uh, 
they just got the job done, nothing overly impressive, and they remain in the top four. So why a good night out, mate? Yeah, I d- well, Buzz, you watch the Sharks more closely than I. It, they just seem to, I don't know, fall over the line against some teams, but the more credential teams, they play their best footy against. Yeah, they do. And um, look, as I said, it wasn't their greatest performance on the weekend. But um, look, whatever Craig Fitzgibbon son down there, they, they just keep turning up every week. They're a very consistent football side. And look, I think they can hang on and make the top four because they've probably got one of the better runs home. And um, yeah, no, he's done a terrific job with them this year. Buzz, uh, no doubt the big story of the weekend was uh, Ricky Stewart and the uh, Chief. We've got to... A lot of people having their say, certainly getting stuck into Sticky on the text line this morning. But uh, what yep. punishment do you think he will get? Uh, look, I think it was so serious um, what happened that we'll be looking beyond a fine uh, this time. And look, I did a story with Bulldog Richie this morning and I think Andrew Abdo was so angry about it yesterday that he'll probably look at some sort of suspension and might just be standing down for one week or two weeks or whatever. Look, um, I, like Laurie and a lot of other people in rugby league, are are very close to Ricky, but uh, this is a situation where you just cannot defend him. I look at it this way, there, there are two Ricky Stewarts. There's one who runs the Ricky Stewart Foundation and has raised millions and millions of dollars over the years for, for kids and families that are dealing with autism. And it's it's really, really beautiful work behind the scenes. Then there's the other Ricky Stewart who gets emotionally worked up, who can't control his emotions, sometimes in press conferences after the game. And for him to, you look, for him to drag up something that, that happened when these boys were kids, um, you know, was obviously the wrong thing to do and very disappointing. Look, my kids and my family have grown up in the shy. They went to the same school as Jamin and, and Ricky's kids. And in the Fair Dinkin Department, Jamin, as a young fella, had a reputation as a bit of a problem child. and. Look, there are obviously some issues that have been boiling away with Ricky. He hasn't had closure on them, and um, he he exploded. But it was the wrong platform. It really was, and uh, you can't use an NRL press conference to use words like weak, gutted, dog about other players. And um, he was apologetic yesterday. Obviously, if he had his time over again, he would never uh, have said it, but the thing is, he has been said, and the NRL will rightly come down hard on him. So, um, look, I hate seeing these things happen in the game. We've, we've had a, another great round of rugby league, and but everyone is talking about it um, from the weekend rather than the skills and excellent performances from a couple of the sides. It's just really, really disappointing. But as I said at the top, I, I just can't, you know... Uh, Ricky's done the wrong thing here, and he's going to have to pay for it. Now, you've written extensively in the Telegraph today about hip drop tackles, Buzz. What did you uncover? Well, I went back over the last four years, Nido and Laurie, and people who think it's a recent problem in the game should have a look at this story because there's actually been 42 hip drop charges and players found guilty in the last years. And there's really interesting commentary on this one 
particularly last week after Jackson Hastings broke his leg in the tackle by Patrick Carrigan, as though it was a recent problem in the game. Hayes Dunster was obviously hurt badly early in the season. But of those 42 players, really, really bad tackle that's been in the game now, as I've said, for three or four years. 21 of the players who made those tackles were not suspended. So I think the NRL has only itself to blame for this, for not taking appropriate action in the past and allowing it to creep into the game. Another 11 players, outside of those 21 who weren't punished, another 11 players were only suspended for one week. Mm. There's only been three or four heavy charges of four or five weeks. So an issue that now everyone is talking about, an issue that has sidelined players for long months and months, and I think it's long overdue that the NRL... It's been highlighted and that the NRL can now treat it as seriously as it should. The other interesting point I found, a lot of people, as per usual, whenever there's foul play in rugby league, want to blame Melbourne Storm. Craig Bellamy, Cameron Smith, they invented all sorts of things. It's very interesting that Broncos are by far the worst offenders. Since 2019, Broncos players have been found guilty of a hit-drop tackle. Now, I spoke to Kev Walters yesterday, and look, I believe Kev, it's just a statistic that that certainly he was unaware of. He insists they don't train for it. They've got a wrestling coach like everyone else. He thinks one of the reasons they've struggled in recent weeks is that they don't wrestle as well as some of the other clubs in the NRL. It's a fact of life. You've got to be good wrestlers to win premierships, but... I think it's a really interesting story that it's been around for so long. But um, oh, can I ask you then, Buzz? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, yeah. um, you know, you look at these hip drop tackles, and we notice them more now. But you're saying it goes back a, a few years. I'm just wondering why or how it's sort of all become part of our game now, and we're sort of more aware of it than what we were in the past. Well, I, I think um, you look at the Hayes dumpster injury where he broke his leg and was sidelined for the season, Laurie, at the beginning of the year, sort of put it back on the map. But when it happened to Jackson Hastings last week and put him out for the season, I then started getting a lot more media coverage. But what all those photos, and I presume you've looked at the yeah. page in the Telegraph today, there's photo after photo after photo of these tackles being made. And... and it's like anything. The only way, only, there's there's evidence that only adequate punishment will drive behavioural change in rugby league. There's too many high tackles, so they have to do a crackdown. Some of these crackdowns are over the top, like we saw in Magic Ground last year. But that's the only way they're going to get them out of the game. Mm. But the cult, the comment, it's been until Ricky unfortunately made his comment. It was the story last week. Everyone was talking about it. It's a nasty and, tackle. It is a nasty tackle. Yeah, but you, have you ever met Patrick Carrigan? Uh, no. He got 99.9% in his high school certificate. He's a trained, fully qualified physiotherapist. He could have done medicine. He's a really, really good person. 
I'm not sure he does the. I'm not sure any player does it deliberately. Mm. The way it's been explained to me, guys, is that there's a certain target area when you're third man in. Now you've got to go above the knees these days, right, and below the hip. Sometimes if you miss your target area and you go above the hip, the player will keep driving his legs to try to keep it. So the player, the, the defender, then slides down puts his weight on the legs and to, to at all costs stop the player, mm. stop the attacker. But it's got they've got to get out of the game. It's a tough enough sport without this sort of thing happening. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. It's a it's a bad look and it's one that can wreck a player's career. I, I wanna ask you, Buzz, about you know, what's happening with the government and the NRL in terms of stadium upgrade. And no doubt you would have seen those scenes at Leichhardt Oval on Saturday. And we're lucky that we're not sitting here talking about a very, very serious accident or possibly death after what we saw unfold at Leichhardt Oval on Saturday. Yeah, wasn't that horrible video on all the news sites and websites over the weekend of that uh, railing collapse at Leichhardt? Laurie, I've been banging on about this for years and years, that to spend $900 million on 42,000 seats at Alliance Stadium, the three football clubs, the Waratahs, Sydney FC and the Roosters, that only draw 15,000 crowds was a waste of money um, to spend that much, and that they should actually have halved the cost, built a Combank Stadium there at Moore Park, and that would have left $450 million to these other suburban grounds, Brookvale, Leichhardt and Shark Park. I think what we saw at Leichhardt Oval was um, actually a blessing in that it brings it to the attention of the government that these grounds are unsafe. Um, NRL is the major sport in this city and we've got to be able to put football games on where fans can turn up every week and feel safe there. And, you know, we really do. And I can understand that so many people, there's more far north coast lost houses and the government wants to divert money at this stage to making sure that they can rebuild homes and, and get their life back. Um, having, But why are they going ahead with Penrith, which I believe is a perfectly good stadium, probably needs a coat of paint and a few new seats. Why are they buying the trotting track at Penrith? Why are they bulldozing the current and spending all this money? I just don't understand it. I think the other grounds mm. are far more in need of a refurbishment than Penrith is at this stage. So the government have had six sports ministers in the last three years. They've chopped and changed. They can't work out what they're doing, but they've got to sort it out soon or we'll see more episodes like we did like out in the weekend. Yeah, I think you'll have a lot of people agree with that sentiment. Talking of the Penrith though, uh, Penrith Panthers, I mean, they've got some wonderful players, but I don't know whether they've got a more consistent player or a, or a braver player than their fullback Dylan Edwards. What a player he is. Well, you know, we played through the finals. No media publicity. Nothing was heard about until after the game, basically with a really serious ankle injury. Couldn't train. Was in a moon boot all week. He's a really, really tough dude. And he just got needled game after game. And again, he took a heavy knock uh, the other night and um, just played outstanding. So I looked up the Gallian leaderboard when it closed and he was, he was running eighth in equal eighth with Daly Terry Evans and he was only 
six points behind Ben Hunt. I think he might be a bolter chance to actually win the award. I think he's a good thing to finish in the top three. Apart from him being such a terrific player and picking up points every week, he no longer has, for the rest of the year, Nathan Cleary, Jerome Luai beside competing with him for points each week. I think we, we know Tedesco's the best fullback in rugby league. We know we've got Latrell Mitchell. We know we've got Tommy Turbo. You know what? I think this guy is only a cigarette paper behind them. He's improved out of sight in the last two years. And I'm really, really happy for them because while he may lack the few of the skill areas those boys have just mentioned, his toughness and his effort plays are up there with any player in the competition. What about Coach of the Year, Buzz? Who do you think is the leading contender oh, for that award? Mate, you're firing some tough questions today. <laughs> um, I don't know who wins that. I know Nathan Cleary, uh, Ivan Cleary, has the Panthers six points ahead and look like certainties to win the minor premiership. But then you've got Todd Payton. Now, every everyone had the Cowboys in the bottom four. I had them winning the wooden spoon. For him to do what he's done with that football side puts him right in contention for the award. The other guy, it's a three-way race for the line. There's probably half a length between them. Is Craig Fitzgibbon at Cronulla. I think that side has overachieved this year when you look at his roster compared to you know, teams like the Roosters with their superstars. And I just didn't think they were going to finish in the top four this year. And they turn up every single week. So if it's given Cleary or Peyton, I think it's the closest race we've ever had for Coach of the Year. What about any late... Oh, what's the latest news with the Dolphins, Buzz? They've gone a little bit quiet of late. Yeah. Did you watch Sean O'Sullivan the other night? I didn't, mate. I had it on in the background, but I didn't watch it carefully. Well, Sean O'Sullivan was picked up as a deputy to Nathan Cleary at the beginning of the year, and it was a really important signing for Penrith in that Cleary had his shoulder problems and missed the first four games. It was also important in that Cleary had to play State of Origin, and he's now suspended for five weeks. So... They needed a first-class game manager, and they picked him up at a budget price. He's only played 27 first-grade games, but my goodness, he's got good game management intelligence. He was outstanding the other night. He had two or three try assists. He was just directed them beautifully throughout the game, and I think I think he's ready to become a fully-fledged regular first grade NRL halfback next year at the Dolphins. And mind you, he's not Daly Cherry Evans. He's not Luke Carey or one of the superstar players. But I can tell you he will do it he will get the job done for the Dolphins. So I think they can call off their search for a halfback. I think they obviously need a fullback and uh, you know a hooker still to complete the spine. Cameron Munster's obviously contender, but they've got a beauty in Sean O'Sullivan. You haven't heard from Clarkie, have you, Buzz? <laughs> Mate, I haven't. What about Clarkie, eh? Living the dream, Buzz. Living the dream. What about his stunning new lady, too? Jeez, he's doing well, and he's always been able to bat. Clarkie, <laughs> hasn't he? Hey? He's a freak. Hey? Well, he's over there at near the Eiffel Tower at the moment. He's 
sipping champagne. A moment. <laughs> is he ever going to pop back to work? Does he know we're coming up to the finals? Uh, I don't know. Well, we're expecting him next, next Monday. Monday. Don't think we're at the uh, forefront of his mind at the moment. <laughs> I've never known anyone who will take a month off at such a crucial time of the year. Who has allowed this? I know. Well, next <laughs> Monday, I want you to uh, put it, put the hard-hitting questions on him. Oh, mate, I'll be up. Not about sporty social life. <laughs> Good on you, Buzz. Thank you. See you, guys. Ta-da. Welcome back to the Big Sports Breakfast. Now, overnight in the English Premier League, we saw Brentford and Leicester draw 2-2, and Brentford came from 2-0 down there at the King Power to get a point. Manchester City went to London and beat West Ham 2-0 with uh, their big off-season recruit, Erling Haaland, scoring both cities' goals, but uh, in a shock. Gee, Manchester United fans, terrible start to the season. 2-1. They've lost at home at Old Trafford to Brighton. From memory, Brighton beat them 4-0 towards the end of last season as well. Uh, so uh, a poor start to the season for United and Phil Moss will be on later. I've got a question morning. for you. Why does Ronaldo start on the bench? Absolutely no idea. It's one for Mossy. One for Mossy? Mm. Mm. Maybe... Well, he wouldn't think he's underdone, but maybe because he didn't go on the pre-season tour, of course, overseas for family reasons, so maybe he's a little bit underdone. Underdone, right, yep. Yeah. Because they put him on when they were 2-0 down. Mm. I would have thought you'd start with Ronaldo and try and kick those goals early better, but That's what would it. I know? <laughs> well, Eric Ten Hag, his first game in charge as United coach, ends in a loss. Now, in uh, the Com games, the Aussie women... Eight for 161, and then a bold India out for 152. So the Aussie women have won the gold in the 2020 at the Com Games. The Hockey Roos, silver, because they were beaten by England 2-1 in their gold medal match. Peter Bowl, Loz, you saw run second in the 800 metres last night as well. Ran well? He ran well this morning, Mido. Yep, he... Um, I, I thought at one stage there he was going to get left behind, but then he found something down the straight. And it looked as though, oh, well, geez, he might get him here. But the Kenya was really strong. But he's improved out of sight, Peter Bowl. And, you know, it might be a long shot. But I reckon he'll be a sneaky chance for a medal in a couple of years' time over there in Paris. Because he just is running so well. And he looks as though he's improved. He's got a lot more strength. And um, I like the way he goes about it. And uh, our netballers, the Diamonds, redemption for that loss to Jamaica in the pool games. They've won the gold medal match against the Jamaicans this morning uh, by four goals. I believe it was 55-51 there at the end. And what about our, our youngest athlete at the games as well? 14-year-old diver Charlie Petrov won gold with Melissa Wu in the women's synchronised 10-metre platform. 14 years of age. Commonwealth Games gold medal. Sensational stuff. Give us a call. 1353 53 Send us a text 0419767272 for your heroes and villains this Monday morning. Trent, good morning to you. How are you? Good, boys. How are we going on this fine morning when we get absolutely smoked by Brighton? Yeah, always happy about that. And I know the United fans are going to get stuck into me, Trent, but uh, yeah. Don't tell me you're a Liverpool man as well. No, I'm actually a villain, um, Loz, so I support Aston Villa. So we had a shocking start of the year. We went to Bournemouth, they got done 2-0, so I'm, um, I've got my tail, tail between my legs this morning as well. But, um, yeah, no, I'll, mate, I'll cop anything and when you a fan throw, throws at me, mate, let me tell you. Beautiful. So, yeah. Mate, they, are, they, they can be a bunch of um, unique supporters. Middo, is that a nice way of uh, <laughs> I ended up 
yeah, I think I went to. It was in fact it was Arsenal's first ever game in the Emirates Stadium, a Premier League game, and uh, I had a ticket. Uh, in fact, I worked with a season ticket holder back in 2006 who couldn't go. So last second, he's like, mate, take my ticket, go to the game. And, you know, I've got got out of the tube somewhere in North London. I'll just go into this pub. And my mate, Scott, you've got to wear an Arsenal scarf while I walk straight into the away pub. Oh, dear. Full of Aston Villa supporters. And let's just, yeah, uh, I'll have to tell you off here what it was like, but uh, it was uh, character building and uh, eyes wide open stuff, let me tell you. I can imagine, mate. Mm. Don't worry. I um, I sat in the cop one night, mate. Um, Liverpool and Villa, and I had to actually, as a Villa fan, I had to change my shirt on the way to the ground. <laughs> so it ended up in one of the houses near um near the cop end, yeah. and I went back, and the old girl just looked at me and said, "There's no way you're getting this shirt back, son." I said, "Yeah, that's a fair call." <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about your hero, of Villa, for us this morning, mate? Oh, look, it should, it should be just villains this week, mate. Look, Jr. Let's face it. I mean, twelve hours in the water, English Channel, sensational. Um, congrats, JR. If you're listening, you're probably not. You're probably asleep, you poor thing. But, um, yeah, it should be just villains this week. So, JR gets the hero, no doubt. And, um, Lord, you're probably not going to like me, villain, mate, but Ricky Stewart, bud. Um, there's comments you make after a game. Yep. And there's comments you make privately after a game. If he's got an issue with the kid, get him after the game on his own, even with um, Ivan Cleary. Have a chat with him privately. Don't air what he said. Look, it wasn't a good look for him. You know, I know they got beat, you know, but, yeah, just there's a time and place for it, Loz. I'm not sure if you how you feel about it, mate, but let the judiciary handle it and let and have it. If you've got an issue, have a chat with him privately about it. Don't plaster it. Yeah. Oh, well, I said this morning, uh, Trent, similar to what you're sort of saying now, that, you know, he's... You know, if he had his time over again, I, I don't think he'd be, he'd be saying um, what he did say. Um He's acknowledged that it was the wrong thing uh, to say and using that platform uh, to do it. Um, but as I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a friend of Ricky and I'll always always support him. I, I love his passion, but again, this is something that shouldn't have been said and he acknowledges that um, and he'll accept whatever punishment is, is handed down by the NRL. Um, and hopefully, you know, everyone um, learns... A lot more from it. He's, you know, I think a lot of people have summed him up today. You know, he, he's very passionate. He's, he, he says what he thinks. Um, and if he had his time over again, I, I don't think he'd be sort of saying those comments in that, in that press conference. Um, but he's an emotional man, and he was thinking that he was doing the right thing at the time. Um, and he got emotional when, you know, talking about his his family. Um, but again, you know, he, he acknowledges that he's he's done the wrong thing. Good on you, Trent. Thanks for the call on the text line. Morning, boys. Obvious heroes, JR, but I'm going to give it to her partner. Without his support uh, throughout, she probably doesn't get there. Great call. The great Dave Oliver. Well done. Getting a cheerio as well. He's got the two boys at home, and uh, I think he's surviving at this point. I wonder how he's gone, Dave, looking <laughs> after the two kids. Uh, probably character building for him as well. I'd say so. Yeah. Because it would have spoiled his Saturdays, no doubt. They're active, those kids, too. Yeah, I know. Very. They love kicking footballs and they love getting out and about, me don't. But I'm sure Dave would have handled, would have handled yeah. it like a true professional like, he is. Like a champion. Uh, and I've just lost the rest of that deck, so I'll come back to it. But g'day, Glenn. How are you? G'day, boys. How are you? No, nah, pretty good. Thanks for a Monday. What, are you, what You got a hero and villain for us? Yeah. My heroines, Jamie Rogers, obviously. Fantastic swim. Well done, Jamie. 
And also a shout-out to Judith Durham and her family. Sad passing over the oh, weekend. Yeah. Um, my villain, the first one's got to be Blocker for stopping Adam Pengelly's multi-getting up by, by uh, selecting the Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders let everyone down. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah, West Tigers cost me the perfect round, so they're a villain as well. Nancy Pelosi, stay out of bloody Taiwan, you idiot. <laughs> Otto Ginsburg's suit. <laughs> and Ricky's apology. He apologised to everybody but Jamin Salmon. Gee, that's, that's, that's the most villains I think we've mm-hmm. ever been given. That's a lot. First that's time I've ever list. heard Nancy Pelosi's name on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Taiwan. <laughs> no, good on you, Glenn. You've, you've put put a bit of time and effort in. Plenty, in, plenty in the gun there. Uh, great stuff. And the rest of that. T- thanks for the call. The rest of that text before uh, villain Ricky dead set. What was he thinking? Visit Newey. Uh, my hero is Jamie Rogers. My villain is the Dragons coach Anthony Griffin. Hook, you have had a good go and failed. Dragons need a new coach. Um. Yeah, twenty-four to eighteen Saturday night. Their loss to the Cronulla Sharks, and we expect that Tarek Sims will probably take his four weeks, which means his Dragons career could be finished for that hit on Connor Tracy as well. Oh, by the way, James Fisher Harris, he's uh, going to cop two matches with the early plea for his shot on Ryan Sutton as well. Penrith, I guess, lucky they're so far ahead. They've got a mm. tough couple of weeks. They got the Storm this week and Souths. Next week as well, so some desperate sides there. They're going to be hard to beat, though, Penrith, aren't they? Oh. I mean, you know, even if Penrith, uh, Fisher-Harris you know, accepts the, the, the guilty penalty and misses a couple of weeks, you know, he just gets his body right, comes back just before finals, Luai, Cleary, they're all rested. Mm. And that's always a concern when you have a lot of players involved in state of origin, how they will be at the back end of the season. So Penrith, if they get all their players back together, and they can manage them as they have done over the last 18 months, they just come into this final series a lot better prepared than what they were last year. Remember last year, they were banged up. Yeah, big time. And they won in a different way to what we saw Penrith win games of footy last year. They did it the tough way. They just hung in there and did it on a bit of you know, grit and, and, and toughness. Um, but when they're in sync and they play the football they're allowed to play, they're a good team to watch. Uh, hero Tia Claire Toomey, an Aussie six-time CrossFit champ, and JR, an amazing and inspirational effort, both wonderful examples of role models uh, juxtaposed to villain Ricky. Poor effort from someone who should lead better by example, uh, says Matt in Queensland, sending that through. I'll tell you the other story on Friday that emerged, Loz, in Formula One, that 21-year-old Aussie Oscar Piastri is set to take Daniel Ricciardo's seat at McLaren next year. Though Alpine, or Alpine I think they call it, is adamant that Piastri is contracted to them, a notion that the Aussie has rejected. But that just goes to show how it's every man for themselves in Formula One. If there's a chance for Piastri to get in there at McLaren, he's taking it. Whether it's Daniel Ricciardo or anyone sitting there, if he's got a chance, McLaren obviously would be happy to pay out Ricciardo's contract because he's under contract there next year. But it looks like... We may not have two Aussies in Formula 1 as we expected maybe a couple of weeks ago and it'll still be one, but it'll be a different one. I'm still happy we've got one driver, Mido, someone that we can get behind and support. And obviously Piastri has been identified as a, a driver with plenty of ability and you know, there's been some talk that he 
would go to another team, but it looks as though it's going to be McLaren. Um, and if the car's good, then I've got no doubt then P- Piastri uh, will be a success. Mm. But a lot of it does come down to the car, how it's performing, and hopefully McLaren can you know, turn up a, a good car next season and put the young man in it, and let's see how he goes. Oh, she did it again, Ali Mosley from Sky Racing. Her best bet was Mautai, and it got the job done. Ali, good morning to you. Good morning. You made me a little bit nervous, actually, when he started to, to get warm in the yard. But then I thought, no, he's done this every time. And the yard isn't the issue. He actually was a lot more relaxed arriving at race day and everything. I just thought, when we get behind the barriers, that'll be the, the true test. But Zizi was a really different horse on the weekend. He's still, he still got issues when he gets to the barriers. But in terms of his racing style and how he handled everything. It was a slow tempo as well, and Hugh was able to, to switch him off nicely. So I think finally we're going to see the best of him this prep. The missile stakes, did you find hard empire? <laughs> I certainly did not. I think, actually, I did pick in the yard, which was, was particularly tricky as well. I was covering for, um, well, Corey Brown and then Chantel, who's on holidays as well. And it's hard when you haven't seen a lot of the horses, but I think I might have said, you know, certainly certainly not the worst here, but it was, I mean, it was really hard. I thought Forbidden Love actually was the most forward. She looked really fit and forward for that run. And Hard Empire, no knock on him, but I don't know. If it, I mean, I'm sure there were some that found him, but Jeezy just went enormous. What did you make of... Forbidden love then, and and count to rupee in terms of maybe looking forward at possibly an Everest. Uh, yeah, I think count to rupee. We all want to know whether he's a twelve hundred metre horse or whether he's going to run out to the mile. And I'm not sure entirely that our question was answered there on Saturday. I think it still shows that he's versatile. Um, he was fit coming into it. He was a lot more forward than I thought he would be. He had the residual fitness, so he wouldn't have really had much time off. If anything, he probably only went to the paddock for maybe up to a week, but they both presented in really nice order. It probably didn't set up that well for either of them. It was a really really tricky day on Saturday, as I'm sure a lot of people saw, but a lot of horses resuming um, and you sort of don't quite know how to place them or how they're going to run, but they both will go on to bigger and better things. I think if Count de Rupi can prove himself over 1,200, I can't see why he wouldn't potentially get a slot in the Everest, but it's still just a bit of an unknown, I think, at the moment. Well, if anyone got a slice of the quaddy on Saturday, they are an absolute genius. I think it paid upwards of uh, towards $200,000. But what did go into your black book out of the weekend? So there are a couple, and two from one race, actually. It was Niffler and Grace and Harmony. And Niffler, if you look at it on paper, probably doesn't look that impressive because she only beat three home. But the run was a lot better than it reads. She got back from a wide draw in a race where... The winning leader was able to get away with a soft timer that her closing sectionals were really good. So she ran the second best last 600 of the entire day. So I think a complete forgive run from her. And hopefully we might be able to get a price about her next time she steps out. Grace and Harmony was really forward uh, leading into her fresh up run and she backed that up with a super performance. Um, she got sort of back in the same on pace suited race but really stormed home late and she ran the day's best 200 metre sectional so I think she will be in for a really lucrative spring I was impressed with how she'd come back she's the biggest stronger horse and then lastly from the Premier's Cup I like the run of Francesco Gardi and I made him my pick of the yard as well because he was the best I'd seen him turned out I went against the favourite I know every single form expert on the planet thought that Lord Ardmore was unbeatable and as it turned out he was but I just thought Francesco Gardi was the one to follow 
out of that race, he put in an 11-18 sectional between the 600 and 400. He just peaked on his run late. Um, and he was probably on, arguably, as it ended up, not the best part of the track. But he's ticking along really well. So hopefully a few we can follow. And, of course, Malfi, I'll follow him through his preface and hope that he can just get a little bit more settled. Huey said that he thinks he's got anxiety, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, he's just a horse that needs to, to settle. And I think proven... Um, on that first up run, that he'll just get better as he gets deeper in and, and, and knocks a bit out of him, you know. Uh, on our text line, Ali, gents, without doubt, Ali is the hero. She's the most consistent tipper you have on the show. We won't tell the other tipsters we have on that, but uh, getting some love from the Slavo Eagle there, though. But Loz, Ali's a potato cake person. <laughs> oh, right, potato cake. Yeah, yeah. not potato scallop, being a Victorian. Can you believe it? everyone down there, it seems. Oh, I know, but how nice are they? Delicious. I haven't had one in a while, actually. That didn't yeah. really feel Cakes. like one now. Yeah, I, even when you said it, it just came straight off. I can't mm. I, I can't get around calling them anything else. Yeah, look, anyway, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ali, thanks so much. Have a great week. Thanks, guys.